Welcome to an all-new episode of Close Talking. In an effort to be more responsive to our feedback we get from you guys, we have an all-new bonus episode about the concept of pressure in poetry, which we got from a comment and question about our episode on the poem Eating Together by Lee Young Lee. So please give that a listen too if you want, and let us know what you think. Welcome to a brand new episode of your very favorite podcast, Close Talking. I am one of your co-hosts, Connor McNair Stratton. And I am your other co-host, Jack Rossiter Munley. And thanks for making this your favorite podcast. I mean, you know, thank you so much. You know, it's just, uh, we really appreciate it. It's, it's good. I mean, there's a lot of great poetry podcasts to choose from. And we're glad to be the one that you go to to get your fix. Um, but we have a great poem today, as in fact we always do, because we don't just pick good poems or poems that are fine or okay. They must be excellent, of the very highest quality. Because that way we know if, like, if nothing else is working, we know it's a good poem. Like, if the, if the conversation sucks and you don't like it, at least hopefully you agree it was about a really good poem, and we right. just kind of dunked it too bad yes because that can even still be okay because then you'll be so mad that we just like fucking butchered it that you'll Mm. be compelled by how much you love the poem to set the record straight um and find a reading that does more justice our poem for today is by uh the great poet jordan rice it's called epithalamian which is a greek mouthful that means a poem that's an honor of a bride or bridegroom. Basically, it's like a, it's a marriage poem. And uh, this was published uh, originally in the, in the journal Blackbird in 2015, and then appeared in Rice's debut book, Constellarium in 2016, which was a finalist for the Kate Tufts 2017 Discovery Prize, which is one of the better first book prizes. I think that Ocean Vong's Night Sky with Exit Wounds won the Kate Tufts one year. Yeah, and published by Horizon Books, and more to say after, but uh, might as well just read the poem. Epithalamian. From here, nowhere's absent shame. The body's rumor dissolute for its mutability. Even speech, the clear spoke and the speaking. My mind's a roar in hoary rasp. No voice carries. I try every one, even apology and rhetoric, the abscess of our fall. Listen, around us whirs the sex I'm to become, violent, exact. I etch up another voice within your silence. Say I'm sorry. Say I am sorry. Say again, I had no choice. I lost oneself to this other and killed our child's father. He'll keep me in old photos, thin frame, red beard. Barbarossa, our priest once called me. What will he tell our son? Your father disappeared. Speaking with the dead makes witchery. He transubstantiated. There was no sign of this proclivity when I bound them at the wrist 
and blessed them by our custom. Okay. Whew. Yeah, it's a heavy poem. So like a bit of context about it, because I think that will be helpful. Um, and I also think this is a poem where the diction is is difficult enough that even just like, what is like, for me, I was like, oh, I just like went through each word. I was like, that's what that means. And just like bare meaning <laughs> was work enough for me. So Jordan Rice is a trans woman and the book is kind of about tracking her transition and her uh, gender confirming surgery. And she wrote in this online site two paragraphs sort of about her transition that as that began, her marriage kind of ended. And so this poem is sort of about the tension between this, this process of transitioning and the sort of like loss of the marriage. So in, in a way, the epithalamian is like a, a deliberately ironic title for, for what the poem ends up being about. It also put me in mind of the epithalamus, which connects the limbic system in the brain, which deals with emotion and sexual arousal, which I kind of unsurprising that an epithalamian is a marriage poem, if that's probably the same root word going on there. It's just sort of interesting as an overlay, a second overlay to the poem, knowing that that's the, the subject matter. Yeah. And, and also just sort of a brief, I don't know if this is, if this is necessary, but like sort of a general language note. There's a move I think that's happened in the past few years. At one point, people had made in a mainstream a distinction between sex and gender, that even if you're say a gender is female identified, if you are sort of born with quote, male sex organs, then your sex was male, which I think generally has moved out of appropriateness or accuracy. And more the term sort of like assigned, you can be assigned male at birth, which moves the that sort of gendering onto what the doctor does and is based not in sort of quote actual fact, but more in terms of like what their determination is. And so potentially then, you know, your gender all along, even if it's fluid or if it's on a spectrum, it's just what it is, I guess. Um, sex organs, irrespective. And related to that, one reason why transitions like surgeries are called gender confirmation surgery or gender affirmation surgery is because you're not, quote, changing genders, but sort of aligning your body and affirming what it sort of you already are. Um, at the same time, when I was reading about Jordan Rice, it became clear that even though I think that's sort of like a good general thing that I try to keep in mind, you know, every person sort of thinks about their own life and their own gender and their own everything, you know, in their own personal way. And so I wanted to be sort of specific to how it seemed like she was talking about herself. And so in the blurb to her book, Constellarium, the description of the book described the transition as the process from biological to male to female. And then in her essay on two paragraphs, the italics at the above um, said Jordan Rice is in the process of transition uh, from male to female. And one caveat is that neither of those are technically in Rice's own language because it's an italics about the piece and it's a blurb about the book. 
but I suspect that she at least approved that language upon publication. And so I just wanted to mention that because that's sort of like seemed slightly different than what I understand the preferred discourse is about it. So that's sort of a long thing that's not about the poem. <laughs> no, 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 I think that's a good note though to include just in terms of how we're gonna be talking about the poem and also how these subjects are and should be discussed in a way that is like respectful and not shitty. Um, so yeah, so getting to the poem, I guess I just thought, I don't know what you think, but it might just be helpful to just to like walk through this one. Cause for me that maybe just the meaning is helpful. So we have epithalamian and then the, the first line we get from here, nowhere's absent shame. To me in a, in a basic way, it seems like everything is shameful in that like everywhere is shame from where the speaker is. And then the body's rumor dissolute for its mutability. Um, so dissolute is kind of like a morally impoverished or um, debaucherous or some kind of thing. And that, that line sort of is in line with this thread that is very deep rooted where uh, a changing woman is like suspect or sinful um, kind of thing. So the body is rumored to be sinful or, you know, morally lax because it's changeable. Um, and so that, you know, obviously has specific resonance here. And then um, even speech, the clear spoke and the speaking, my mind's a roar in hoary rasp. No voice carries. So I think this is very interesting. And I so I feel like voice in this poem is, is working on three levels. Uh, on the one hand, when someone is in the process of transitioning, the voice changed too. And uh, Jordan Rice sort of uh, talks about in this essay about taking like voice training and all that. And so there's a uh, often a, a difficulty with one's voice in a sort of very literal sense that I think the poem is kind of referring to. At the same time, there's two other levels that I think come out as we continue. So my mind's a roar and hoary rasp, no voice carries, I try everyone, even apology and rhetoric, the abscess of our fall, listen. And so here, uh, voice is also just kind of like communication, the ability to communicate with the partner, um, with the person who uh, she's in this marriage with that's now falling apart. Um, and, and, and then the third, the third last, which I think maybe comes out a little later, is sort of a voice in a, in a poetic sense, but also generally as like identity. Um, having a voice uh, is, is very unstable, raspy at this point. I think it also gets at the issue that it's still hard to talk about and describe the process of transitioning and to accurately label for oneself or to respectfully label from other people like what's going on. And so in some ways, the comfortable language that we have become accustomed to around things like gender and sexuality gets altered and goes from being clear spoke to being a hoary rasp as well. 
And I think at least I took some of that away from this as well, that it's not just on the personal level, like the, the raw physicality of it for Jordan Rice, but it's also that society has yet to really figure out how to talk about this in any kind of respectful way, like by, by and large. Yeah, no, I think that's definitely right. Yeah, and sort of more specifically with communicating with the partner so that, that even, I try everyone, even apology and rhetoric, the apsis of our fall. And it means, so if you have like a, a, a non-circular, like an elliptical orbit, um, the apsis is either the uh, farthest point in the orbit or the closest. So it's the two extremities where like a moon orbiting um, a sun. And so it's a very interesting metaphor for what apology and rhetoric and communication be with with respect to the relationship that is falling apart. And that sort of that apsis image ties into the next part. Around us were the sex I'm to become violent exact. So that around us worrying carries that uh, connotation of the abscess and the orbiting, which is sort of this worrying of transition, it seems. And 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 the sort of the central problem seems to be that the the partner basically well is like leaving because of this in some ways, or or doesn't accept this transition or and and even apologizing or something like that um, does nothing and can't communicate to this person. Yeah, and so then around us was the sex I'm to become violent, exact. I etch up another voice within your silence, which I think is so, it's so interesting in a lyric poem because of course it's like, there's only one voice and you know, you're speaking to the void, but Rice is also in her life in this sort of speaking to a silent partner, but who's refusing to sort of accept her. And then say, I'm sorry, say, I am sorry, say again, I had no choice. And that's really interesting because I feel like there's a dual way to read that and maybe more where, where maybe she's trying to tell herself to say, I'm sorry about it, which ties into the apology. And maybe she's also trying to command partner to say that they're sorry and then maybe it's like uh in the repetition say i'm sorry it's like a figurative like say i'm sorry like like let's say that that's the case or something uh what do we get from there i took that initial mention of apology to be more like the classical meaning of defense so it's sort of defending with apology and then using rhetorical skills to try and persuade or coax out the other person. And then once all that has failed, having to do actual apologizing once it's like the abscess of our fall. And then like, the, this is just kind of, this is falling apart and I just feel really bad about it. Cause it, it feels like it's on me maybe uh, yeah. being Jordan Rice, the, the speaker in the poem saying, you know, she's sorry. That's a better reading of apology and rhetoric because it because it has with epith epithalamian it has that classical Greek thing and so right so apology in the sense of an apologist kind of rather than someone who's apologizing and then we have I lost oneself to this other and killed our child's father that seems like fairly clear but is sort of bringing in the violence that um, she referred to earlier 
as the sexum to become as violent and exact and referring to this process of transition as, as killing their kid's uh, father. That line I find particularly interesting. And I don't, I want to be very careful here because I don't want to presume that I know how anyone in the family has decided to describe things, but just on the level of how the words sound, I'm struck by the juxtaposition of other with killed our child's father because other is one letter away from mother. And that stuck out to me instantly when I read that line, um, just in terms of what are the changes going on here. I don't know if it was intentional or not, but I thought it was amazing within the poem. No, that's very interesting. I'm, yeah, I'm not positive, but the, the echo with father and other being so close together definitely suggests that connection. And so then after that line, we transition to kind of the son, their son. He'll keep me in old photos being, being the son, thin frame, red beard. Maybe it's Barbarossa. Is it Barbarossa or Barbarossa? I'm having a tough time. It's usually said as Barbarossa. I don't know what the correct, 100% correct, but most people say Barbarossa. I think okay. if you're English, you say Barbarossa. <laughs> <laughs> I know that's kind of how uh, <laughs> name. Uh, Lawrence Olivier kind of says it that way in the World War II documentary. Oh, wow. <laughs> that's funny. Okay, so yeah. So thin frame, red beard, Barbarossa, our priest once called me. There's probably other meanings, but one meaning Barbarossa is just someone with a red beard. He's also and, just generally the the guy Barbarossa is like a super manly Russian guy. Oh, really? Okay, yeah. interesting. Pretty sure he was a one of the main. Yeah, I'll look it up real quick. No, no, it was a Holy Roman Emperor known as Frederick Barbarossa. So again, there's this antiquity. There's also tie into the Solmaz Sharif poem, the invasion of Russia in World War II was called Operation Barbarossa, which is, again, I mean, that's like a super masculine connection in the naming of Barbarossa. It's like, oh, you're a, a red-bearded man, but also like the way that that word has been used through history has been to connote very masculine uh, things. Yeah, interesting. And so then after Barbarossa, our priest once called me, what will he tell our son. So that's what will the priest tell our son. Uh, and then the poem sort of uh, moves into a sort of like hypothetical thing that the priest might say, which sort of moves to the end of the poem. Your father disappeared. Speaking with the dead makes witchery. He transubstantiated. There is no sign of this proclivity, which means, um, you know, tendency when I bound them at the wrist and blessed them by our custom. I don't know, it's, it's very interesting that the transubstantiation as a, a way to think about transitioning is fascinating. Um, also, of course, sort of ironized. Part of it gets at when you were talking about the voices, like how do we talk about this thing? We don't have the language for it. This is sort of an example of, well, if you t let's take like Catholic, Christian religious discourse, how would this discourse account for this? And so speaking with the dead makes witchery transubstantiated. Yeah, I mean, that bit at the end is essentially saying this is a major institution that spans the globe that has no language for it other than to say you're not welcome anymore. Basically, 
because in the in the two paragraphs she talks about how she felt like she was sort of killing off the person she used to be that person was no longer there she felt like she changed into a different person but the way that it's described here by the priest is like your dad's dead and in fact speaking with the dead makes witchery don't do that it's bad the person who was your father and now gone done <laughs> no place here he transubstantiated and back before all this happened i was chill with it i'm no longer chill and that's done <laughs> i found that very powerful as yeah. there are billions of catholics the world over not to say that all catholics believe this um but from an institutional perspective to have the largest religious institution in the world take this kind of line on it is indicative of where society as a whole, perhaps, is. Two things that are cool about this ending is there is a tension between speaking with the dead and makes witchery and he transubstantiated because he transubstantiated makes the speaker into Christ, basically. And that's pretty good if I've read my Bible, which I haven't, but Christ is like a pretty chill dude. That's uh, the dead guy you're supposed to talk to. <laughs> <laughs> so, So on the one hand, don't speak to the dead. On the other hand, your dead father is Christ. It also draws the connection, the unavoidable connection that Catholics are literally eating the body and blood of Christ when they take communion every week. If you think the transubstantiation is real. So that's another much more intimate connection to dead people than just talking to them. Yep. The other part that's cool about this ending is with all that stuff in the beginning of the poem about, the voice and trouble with voice, it's its really cool in a stylistic way that the poem, in fact, ends on not the speaker's voice, but the priest's voice. And the speaker is in, in some way still unable to land or resolve something with her own voice. And that sort of, I think, is demonstrated through the poem sort of ending on this hypothetical priest's voice. And yeah, the giving over of the voice to someone who is not the initial speaker of the poem after we've had so much information about what voice means, it's like really quite something. It's also interesting that even with all this talk about having a hoary rasp or not having a voice, like the diction of the poem is like the most articulate like high level English that exists. Like everything's from the Greek dissolute mutability, apology, rhetoric, apsis, it's very cogent, even in its saying that it's not cogent. I was also struck by that, because, but at the same time, using that kind of language is confusing to the reader. And so it not only shows a huge capacity for language, but it demonstrates quite literally how language that can essentially mean something simple can still be presented in a way that can end up being confusing, which I was fascinated by. Uh, and that line that we've pointed to a couple times, apology and rhetoric, the abscess of our fall, is really where the poem hinged for me uh, and where I sort of found myself thinking the most about, because I think obviously this poem is talking about an event, which is the dissolution of this marriage and sort of reflecting on the marriage itself and going forward. But it also has something powerful to say about language, clearly. And I was thinking about it, and that line, the abscess of our fall, specifically got me thinking quite a bit, because it is the points in the orbit, as you said, where it's both closest 
and farthest away. And it got me thinking about Jean-Jacques Rousseau uh, and his work with the, the famous state of nature thought experiment. So there's like Hobbes, Locke and Rousseau are like the three main guys who did this. Hobbes says that in the state of nature, man is like living these horrible lives that are nasty, brutish and short. Locke is all about the state of nature being governed by natural law. Rousseau, however, says that in the state of nature, humans exist like kind of in a state of bliss. It's almost like the Garden of Eden before the fall. And that, in fact, what creates the fall is the societies that we build once we start communicating and that we are not born bad or evil. We are taught and we learn how to be bad or evil. And the way that society is built, like creates these ideas about what is good, what is bad, what is right, what is wrong. Um, but that people themselves exist in a state of goodness which I like, I think that's a nice way of looking at the world. But what had me thinking is that apology and rhetoric, the apsis of our fall, seems like this poem is taking a Rousseauian line on this, which is that we're all good, we're doing just fine, but once you start talking about things and labeling them, these complications arise from giving so much meaning and steadfast virtue to certain labels. And not only is language where we come closest together, but it's also where we end up being divided. And particularly around issues of gender, it's so much the gender that you've been assigned, possibly physically, but also by society. It reaches beyond your body and it is that social conversation that becomes so oppressive and challenging, even in this poem alluding to that, but it's also on the personal level of this is uh, Jordan Rice in that moment of the poem is trying to connect to another person as best she can through language. And it's actually the language and the labels that are driving them farther apart. And so that tension between connection and divide and the idea of language being, in fact, what separates us from a state of nature where it's all kind of OK into this world of social structures and labeled uh, being uh, was very interesting to me. And I felt like that was a, a guiding idea that helped me through the poem. Yeah, I love that. Wow. I have a lot of things that I'm thinking about. One, quickly, you say Rousset. Oh my God. <laughs> you say Rousset. You say Rousset. Uh, you say Rousseau. Uh, I say Judith Butler. And that makes me think of, just what you were saying was making me think of what Butler talks about in Gender Trouble about how gender is performed and that is something done, which I think Butler has said later that sort of characterization of gender may not account for um, transgender identity uh, as fully as one might want, but nevertheless uh, speaks to the way that discourse and society play and, and the way that a body sort of performs in that society creates one's gender in, in some kind of substantial way. Also, now that I read it, of course, Aptus of Our Fall Fall has that the fall from grace and the, the biblical connotation, especially with the end. But then it's interesting to think of a, a fall in the traditional way of thinking about it. It's like, well, then she ate the apple and then we're toast. And it's like this like descent, clear linear descent into sin. Um, but to talk about a fall as with an abscess is to suggest that it has an orbit and that you're you're not falling. And this gets at great tension that you bring out with that language being both the closest and the furthest is that this fall of the marriage is was not just some steep decline, 
but was this whirring rotation. And I, I could imagine if I was a body in space orbiting something, it would feel like I was falling the whole time, perhaps. Uh, but in fact, I'm just moving around in circles. I don't really know. I'm in space conjecture. But the other thing that that makes me think about, which is really interesting, and what gets at what you were saying earlier about the language being both articulate, but sort of hard to understand is that just to bring it back to like a, a sort of basic way that a basic English majory way to think about literature and poems is this idea of distance. And so what's the distance between the speaker uh, and the poem or the poet and the speaker? And one uh, way that diction is interesting is the way that it suggests distance. And so here I feel like the sort of heightened diction increases the distance between or suggests the distance that is between the speaker and the poem or the speaker and her body or the poet and the speaker. And and that is like really pronounced in the beginning, the first line. I mean, from here, nowhere's absent shame. That is the most contorted way to say everywhere is shameful. It's a double negative of nowhere is is shame absent. And so that that sort of like double negative way of of speaking furthers that distance, um, which I think happens a lot. And 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 even the line "the body's rumored dissolute for its mutability." Yes, we have the the words dissolute and mutability, but also it's like the body in this sort of like rumored. Um, these are very like sort of detached ways of talking about things. It's not like people call me dissolute because I'm changeable or something like that would be a very close way of talking, but it's sort of like the body in like a, a abstract platonic sense or something like that. And that line that I, that I like the say, I'm sorry, say, I'm sorry, say again, I had no choice. The repetition of that is a, is another way of distancing where, where the words, I think it becomes less clear what a, what's being said, but like, who's, who's doing the saying of I am sorry. So I think that's totally right to think about the difficulty that language is posing for the speaker and how that's sort of uh, enacted in the poem. Yeah, because it's both the speaker trying to reach out either to the reader or to the person they're addressing in the poem. And for various reasons, we get this almost destined failure or destined challenge, let's say, because I think you can reason out what's happening in the poem. But Clearly, it didn't work out in the in the marriage. I take that say, I'm sorry, say, I am sorry, say again, I had no choice to be all Jordan Rice. Maybe I'm wrong. But I in my head, it's like, I'm sorry, I am sorry, I had no choice. You know, I read it sort of like I give it that vocalization yeah. in my head. No, I think that's probably the most plausible way to read it. But I do think there's this there's a, just a strangeness. I mean, obviously, rhythmically, it sounds good. Say I'm sorry, say I am sorry is interesting rhythmically. But I don't know that the change, the repetition, but change and the fact that the poem could be I am I'm sorry, I am sorry, I had no choice. But that, that the choice to put say in front of all of them sort of suggests perhaps other ways to read it. It brackets it. it. It sort of sets it aside as language. It doesn't make it just something that is spoken. It's pointing to the spokenness of those words and highlighting that this is something someone says. It, it almost creates that slight distance between 
either the person and the person they're speaking to or between two speakers speaking to each other, it makes it clear that that act of speaking is a distancing act more so than a connecting act by saying, say this, say this, say this. It's almost like it's a novelization of an interaction as opposed to the interaction itself. Yeah, and it and it makes it a sort of voice and language, a discrete thing, which which is emphasized elsewhere too. That line, um, I etch up another voice within your silence. Um, the verb etch has such a, it makes voice like a thing you can carve into something, you know, uh, rather than something sonic. And and also just the the multiple, that it's like a, there's just a donning of voices, you know, well, I'll try this, I'll try that, I'll try this. Gets at that voice and language are something available to be taken and performed and tried. Definitely. And even etching, number one, an etching is like a very slight mark. It's not a deep or lasting mark. It's a small mark. And an etching itself is usually done onto metal, then there's ink, and then it's pressed onto paper. And then that's like the finished product. Again, it's very distanced from the actual act of making a mark. So yeah. you, you again, have super distancing language around language itself, pointing to how it may or may not be a means of, of connection. Should we read it again? Yeah, yeah, I'd love to hear it again. All right. Here it is. Epithalamian. From here, nowhere's absent shame. The body's rumored dissolute for its mutability. Even speech. The clear spoke and the speaking. My mind's a roar in hoary rasp. No voice carries. I try every one, even apology and rhetoric, the apsis of our fall. Listen, around us whirs the sex unto become, violent, exact. I etch up another voice within your silence. Say I'm sorry. Say I am sorry. Say again I had no choice. I lost oneself to this other and killed our child's father. He'll keep me in old photos, thin frame, red beard. Barbarossa, our priest once called me. What will he tell our son? Your father disappeared. Speaking with the dead makes witchery. He transubstantiated. There was no sign of this proclivity when I bound them at the wrists and bless them by our custom. Thank you so much for listening. If you like this, please rate us on iTunes. You can keep up with us at facebook.com slash close talking or Twitter at close talking. If you have another reading of one of the poems you've discussed or think we got something wrong, Please let us know and tweet at us or shoot us an email at close talking poetry at gmail.com.